let's go ahead and get into it. Okay, jump into it. So, so yeah, for everybody listening, um, Nick Shikitano, you can call me Nick Shik. It's way easier that way. Um, and we've got Blair Solberger, former team nutritionist for the Miami Dolphins, and we'll get into all of that. Um, Blair, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, I'm a registered dietitian. I got my master's degree from Florida State in exercise physiology and sports nutrition. Um, worked at Exos for two years, worked at the Dolphins for two years, and I decided I wanted to start a podcast. Uh, not really good at social media, and I felt like this is a more genuine way to jump into sharing, uh, you know, my opinions, my beliefs in the science behind nutrition and, um, you know, get to know Nick and his opinions and, and beliefs in the, the science behind nutrition. So just jumping into it. Yeah. In, imperfect action. This is episode one. Exactly. It's going to be, it's going to be bumpy, but we're going to have some fun for sure. Um, so I do have a question about undergrad. So being, I'm in undergrad, so I'm in a, uh, a DPD program, which is the prereq to become a dietitian. And my question is, did you study like human nutrition, like I'm doing at the University of Alabama as your undergrad, or does the DPD program kind of give you leeway? That I'm not too sure on. I, when I was looking into it, I vaguely remember there being a few undergraduate like sports nutrition programs. I think Auburn had one. I'm not, don't quote me on that, but, um, most of them I've ever seen are just like diet. Mine was just dietetics. Okay. Just just general dietetics. I'm sure, you know, DPD would include like human biochem. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's what my, um, major professor at Florida state, Dr. Ormsby did his undergraduate in was, um, kinesiology or human biochem or something, but he's not even an RD. He's just a really uh, prominent researcher in sports nutrition and, and health. So, um, yeah, I'm not too sure on that. Yeah. So what, uh, what year was your graduation? Cause I know in 2024, it's going to be where anybody sitting to become a registered dietitian and RD, you have, you're required to have a master's degree. Um, so kind of, back then this is where I have issues with rambling when I get to thinking on my feet um but so how far removed was the style to get credentialed from where we're at now and what we're going to be at in 2024 god I feel like we could have a whole episode just on that yeah that's fair yeah Um, yeah so it there it wasn't even like so I graduated undergrad in 2012 um so there was not even, it wasn't even on the horizon. I mean, they, maybe they were talking about it and just hasn't released anything yet. But when I got my undergrad, it was, you know, go do your internships and be a dietitian. Um, I opted to do the master's program because the DI is much harder to get into as a much mm-hmm. lower success rate of, of getting in. And Florida State has an outstanding MSDI program. So they're... Uh, Dr. Spicer like walked me right into my internships. I like in, I did my internship with Exos, which is how I got the job with the Dolphins and continued to work with Exos. So um, I opted to do the masters for that reason, just because I knew how good our program was. But uh, yeah, there was no. I think they started talking about it when I was in grad school. Okay. People, certain people were grandfathered in until I think you said 2024. Um, you know, so. Sweet. So. Um... That style of program, so, so you MSRD pro, or MSDI program, where you were doing your internship at the same time. So that's very similar to the coordinated program that we've got going 
now where you can do you can do actually your undergrad and your dietetic internship or I believe you can do your master's and your internship at the same time so okay uh, yeah like I had to finish my internship to get my master's degree okay uh, it was that was part of the yeah. master's programming versus you get your DPD accredited degree and then you apply for internships gotcha um, whereas you're saying like your program has it kind of conjoined yeah yeah so um, it's not the uh, combined programs not something that I'm doing so I'm kind of more on the traditional go do your DPD undergraduate program and then either go do a master's or your dietetic internship um, which I haven't decide which one I want to do yet um, but so that uh, Exos that internship so that got you straight into the Dolphins was that kind of like a your goal ultimately or is that just something that presented itself and you took it um yeah no I mean working in the NFL was absolutely I, I kind of hit a home run in my first at bat in the majors I mean literally a lot of people I know from my program did like Gatorade snip internships and then you know are still like assistants or working as uh, interns in nutrition um collegiate level and i kind of just um you know right place right time was part of it for sure not saying i mean i worked 14 hour days under this guy bob calvin it, this is at the um gulf breeze in pensacola or, or um sorry the exos in gulf breeze which is right near pensacola um I mean, I busted ass. I worked my ass off 14 hour days unpaid. I mean, just ridiculous, yeah. but he, um, and it's kind of a funny story. He was the most low energy dude. This guy has he's a, everyone in the sports nutrition world knows who this guy is. No Instagram, no social media, um, hates emails. Like just, just, Oh really man. Anti-technology. Yeah. Like he's so old school, but you know, it's getting towards the end of the internship and I'm, they had two dietitians and one of them transferred to another exo. So I'm like, Oh, maybe I'll just get her job. And then I come in the office and he's like, lean back in his chair and he's like, yeah. So, uh, I just got off the phone with, um, my buddy, Dave, he's the strength coach for the Miami Dolphins, <laughs> and, uh, they need a new dietitian. So it's probably a long shot, but I put your name in the hat and he wants you to email his resume. I'm just like, that's the energy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, like what, what the hell? Like, I don't understand. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. Yes, Bob. Uh, give me his email address and I'll, uh, yeah. I actually spelled Dave's name wrong. His name's Dave Paloka. <laughs> and I put Paluka, P-A-L-U-K-A. Almost didn't. He said he almost didn't email me back. But oh I, man. I interviewed, <laughs> I interviewed well enough. to. Really yeah. I mean, shoot, you got it for sure. So, um, that's crazy that he's a super low energy dude and an, shit, an opportunity like that. He's like, you know yeah, what? Like I was so cool. <laughs> yeah. So like, uh, yeah. Like I'm, I'm sure you, I'm sure you left his office. I mean, running down the hallway. So. Oh yeah. And then when Dave called, I, I was as cool as I could be. And I probably had six interviews. We had like one official zoom or Skype or whatever. I think it was Skype interview. And, uh, which was daunting because I'm on Skype and it's the strength coach, the assistant strength coach, the um, sports scientist director, and that. But they're like grilling me. I mean, it, it wasn't just like, "Hey, let's get to know you." They're like, "What solution of this?" And I mean, just yeah. at me. So, um, did I mean? I feel like I did pretty well, and obviously I did. Must have like. <laughs> Dave would like call me, and we'd be talking. It, like seeming like he's just kind of checking on me and then it would slowly kind of turn into another interview. Like it seemed casual, but yeah, I mean, when he finally called and was like, yeah, so, um, 
I think we're going to offer you the job if you're still interested. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely interested. And I got off the phone. I was running around my house, yeah. jumping, and, yeah, I was going crazy. I can only imagine. But um, so it's interesting that um, I, even on the interviews, they were grilling you. I mean, I, I kind of wouldn't expect anything different just because, I mean, to be a player in the NFL, you have to have this super high level of ability. So I would assume they would treat all their – all their interviewees, applicants, all their uh, employees the same way. So, yeah, that's kind of... Yeah, and I definitely understand the grilling aspect, too, just because, I mean, you kind of need a strong personality to work with. Mm -hmm. football, basketball, but, I mean, they're just... They're young kids making millions of dollars. I think the only person older than me the first season was Cam Wake, was a couple years older than me, and the second season, Ryan Fitzpatrick was, like, a year or two older than me. You know, so, like most of these guys were 10, 12 years younger than I am. Yeah. And so they're, I mean, just all over the place and they're ridiculous. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that weird to see just have people that are so much younger than you in uh, this insanely, I mean, being an NFL player, that's a hugely glorified position. And so was it weird to kind of be working with, I mean, if they were 10 years younger than you, essentially children? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like one, it's kind of hard to see them as children because they're all like six two plus. And, That's fair. Like, yeah. I mean, we had like um, Grant who mm-hmm. was five seven. Why did he's fast as shit? Oh my god, that guy was fast. We played handball one time, and this I was like, this is that's cheating. This guy he can't <laughs> be faster than everybody else. Um, but yeah, like he um, almost everybody's huge. Like I mean, just massive two hundred and fifty plus pound six fives. I mean, what, we had a guy that was seven one. I think. Yeah, I mean, so. It's kind of hard to see people that big. Yeah. You're, but like people called me sir all the time. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. It feels weird to me, but I yeah. kind of like it. So. But in a, and one thing you also mentioned on an earlier call um, was, and we'll, we'll, um, there'll be a whole separate episode for this, but was the required testing where all the players had to come to you for weight testing and hydration testing. How, like I said, we'll get into a whole hydration episode, but what, how do you test somebody's hydration? Uh, urine specific gravity. Okay. So, um, it's basically you're taking their piss and you're just like, I mean, we just called it piss testing. Hey, and I would, I wouldn't do it like a carny. So that was one thing I learned is you really have to like, <laughs> we could find people for not hydration or whatever. Yeah. If they didn't do those testing, like it's a, it's a missed meeting and they could be fined. But even still like. I want them get, to get them in and get it done. I don't want us to be standing around all day asking guys to piss. So, like, I'd, I'd stand outside the locker room or the bathroom and just uh, step right up, pee in a cup, see who can get the lowest score, you know, like, just, <laughs> like that, just get people in. Um, some guys cared a lot. Other guys, it was, like, pulling teeth. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so U- USG is, you basically, we had a little pin that, like, they would pee in a cup and put it in their jersey number on this board, and you put the pin in, and it tells you, the density compared to water. So it's going to be like 1.0 something. And basically if it's you, you, we just take the one point off. So it's easier to remember. Yeah. So basically if it's 100 or less, you're hydrated 100 or 200 borderline and 200 or more is, um, dehydrated. And so, I mean, what that would read to is the USG would be 1.10, whatever that would be a hundred. Um, so basically, if your urine is 20% more dense than water, you're dehydrated is, is what that boils down to. Um, 
but I mean, it was gross. I mean, you're literally just 90 something guys and you're sticking a pen in a cup and make yeah, so. And like some of these guys, like that shit was orange. Yeah. They're like, how, what do you like? Do you drink water? Like, oh, I got a piss, bro. I'm like, you've been here for four hours. There's no, there's no Don't lie to me. Just yeah. piss. Yeah, so you had the dream, the dream job of probing yeah. super athletes piss. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I what what got you interested in nutrition? I always oh, so other people. Yeah, um, honestly, misinformation. So okay. yeah, it Which was is awesome because I have a, that's another one of my questions. Yes, <laughs> yes, was um, everything around like uh, carbohydrate demonization. And so saying carbs are bad, sugars are bad, this, that, and the other. And so that really got me interested in it. And then I wanted to figure out what was going to make the human body function ideally as far as nutrition. And then what really made me uh, actually transfer schools completely to uh, put me on this path to be a dietitian was I actually left my advanced cell biology class. So I was previously a cell bio major. I left uh, one of the hardest classes my school offered for undergrad to go look up more nutrition information. And it kind of clicked. I was like, I should not be yeah. doing this. Like, <laughs> yeah, let me, let me go actually study this officially and eventually get paid to do something that I love. So that's funny. I actually had a, like a similar realization, but it, it wasn't even my idea. That's how ridiculous. Yeah. Like I, uh, I was hanging out with a friend and I'd lost a bunch of weight and, we were talking and I was telling her how exciting it was. And I started getting into nutrition mm -hmm. and she was like, yeah, you get really like, you light up, your face gets really happy when you talk about nutrition. And I said, I was like, Oh yeah, I love it. And she's like, well, why don't you study it? And I was like, that's, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's you're onto something there. Yeah. So, yep. so since you mentioned misdirection, one of my questions is, or like missing misconceptions and misinformation. Um, what do you think is one of the biggest or in your mind, the biggest misconceptions in nutrition right now? Oh, oh, that's a, that's a good one. Um, I mean, so it, it kind of goes with all the sort of fad diets. So I think there's going to be this idea with the cert food diet, which we're going to talk about on here. Um, but currently the sugars are bad. Carbs are bad, which it's seeming like it's starting to make its way out. Um, yeah. so I'm kind of waiting for the next thing to come in. The, I mean, the next bad diet, the next, um, wave of misinformation on social media. And then you have, uh, other podcasts, for instance, I'm gonna just right out the gate, call out the Ben Greenfield fitness podcast. Um, his whole thing is he's a good salesman. He creates a problem and either his guest owns a company that has or, the solution or Keon, Keon. Yeah. yeah. I actually bought his uh, essential amino acids because of his claims. Oh, you get so much energy. You feel amazing and all of that. So I bought the uh, essential amino acid tablets where it was just the amino acids and it made me shit my pants for like two months straight. So that's how you can is they're, they're yeah. they promoted as this wonder car yep. that lasts hours and days and it makes most of my players made them shit their brains out. Yeah. Yeah. So. I have yeah, two bottles sitting I, in my I room. I do love EAAs. I'm a huge. Oh, so like, I mean, yeah. I want to do a whole episode on like supplements at some point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, and you kind of hit, I think this is something we'll talk about on the supplement episode about it's about idealization or optimization as far as nutrition and supplementation, not just getting by. Um, but yeah, I'm not BCAAs or bunk. 
I mean, they're fine. They have some research on like um, reducing fatigue when consumed pre-workout, but they're not good for recovery. Um, honestly, I could dive into the whole leucine thing too, which is it's a good marker, but there's so there's some uh, there's some controversy there in my opinion yeah. as well. But like, you need all the amino acids to build muscle, so just the BCAAs actually show a reduction in muscle mass when consumed as a recovery beverage. Dang, that's interesting. Yeah, we'll, we'll dive into that. Yeah, so that's, that's definitely something to, um, so what is your ideal career? I know you kind of said you're not sure about I, the grad program and stuff. Like what, what do yeah. you see yourself doing in nutrition? So I don't know, to be honest. Um, originally when I first got in, I was like, you know what? I want to be a uh, clinical dietitian and specifically focus on preventing and helping treat diseases through nutrition. And so kind of that's my goal there. I'm still young into it, so I could really do anything. I'm kind of thinking about maybe getting an oncology certification so that I can do uh, medical nutrition therapy specific for cancer. Um, and yeah, one thing that I want to focus on outside of my career is helping reduce obesity rates, obesity rates, because I mean, for instance, um, Healthy People 2020, which was the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics goals for 2020, was to get the obesity rate down to 33%, or maybe it was 33% down to 30. Well, yeah. in 2018, the obesity rate for people above 20 years old was 42%. So we are actively going in the wrong direction. Right. Yeah. I think it's proposed by 2024 to be at 50 or more. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so kind of outside of my career, um, at side hustle, maybe, I mean, I'm honestly okay. If I do things pro bono, just helping people get down away from the obesity line and help them maintain it. Cause that's the biggest issue. Yeah. So I think this is actually a pretty good segue into what we're going to talk about yeah. today which is the, this episode is going to be largely focused on the anti-diet movement, which I am a proponent of by and large, but I think it has some, some things to look out for. Um, I think it's a lot more complicated than it, it seems to be presented on Instagram. And I think part of it is too, that we're kind of in this, what I call the raise a pussy generation. Everybody's a delicate flower and you have to watch out for their feelings. Yeah, Blair is going hard right out the gate. Oh, yeah. I, don't, I don't hold back. Yeah. So like, I think there's some misconceptions and we'll dive into this kind of stuff as far as like what's health, what's, what's not health. Like how does mental health factor into it and those kind of things. But you know, it's, I, I, when I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed as morbidly obese in 11th grade. Um, I was five, seven to 85, I think was my, I was 40, I was 40 point something BMI. So I was actually morbidly obese. And, uh, I like to say that I hate that it's not called morbidly obese anymore because when I went to the doctor and he said, Hey, you're morbidly obese. I felt so disgusting. Like I, it was terrifying. Cause that sounds like I'm a dying. I got like, I'm a grotesque circus act, you know? <laughs> And so that resonated in a way that made me do something about it. Whereas if I went to the doctor and he's like, you're obese class three, I'd be like, yeah, what does that mean? Okay. Yeah. Cool. How many classes are there? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm number one top class. Nice. Yeah. Do I get a degree in this at some yeah. point? Like, <laughs> like it, it's just, yeah, it doesn't resonate with me right now. So anyway, uh, for those unfamiliar, um, anti-dieting is kind of taking into 
getting rid of the diet culture of, you know, basically including mental health, including um, sleep and all these other aspects and not just talking people into going on this diet or that diet and, and kind of getting rid of this whole concept of, um, you know, that we have to diet for external reasons, having abs. And, you know, that's one of the things that I think is the biggest problems in health and nutrition right now, especially with the rise of Instagram and social media is that abs means healthy. And in oftentimes it actually means the exact opposite. Uh, you can have abs and be healthy, but a lot of times people over restrict, starve themselves, uh, you know, exercise excessively and, and go to extremes in order to maintain low enough body fat percentage to have abs. So anti-diet is in my mind, a rebranding of intuitive eating to some degree. I think there's mild differences there, but you know, I think those two things are going to be talked about a lot side by side today. Yeah. Which, um, that's interesting that it kind of, and it really does seem adjacent to intuitive eating from the outside though. It kind of just seems like a lifestyle change. So, um, which is one of, one of kind of the issues that I have kind of with everything is, if you call it one thing, we kind of got to specify. I like things in categories. So if it's anti-dieting, but it's intuitive eating kind of thing, I do feel like that should be specified because, um, for instance, behavioral weight loss, I would consider that a part of anti-dieting because, in my opinion, it's focused on lifestyle changes. And lifestyle change is what I would line up with anti-dieting specifically. So yeah. it kind of does require a little bit more categorization. Very good point. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, yeah, so it, I guess diving into intuitive eating is more or less the definition of it as far as I could find in some of the research I looked up was um, that intuitive eating is, so they separate hunger into three separate categories, which is environmental cues, emotional cues, and physical cues, physiological cues. So intuitive eating is, is a focus on um, specifically paying attention to your physiological cues. And I think that definition is a big part of how anti-diet and intuitive eating is different is that I don't think anti-diet is necessarily only listen to your physical or physiological hunger cues. It's kind of also encompassing that there are environmental factors and emotional factors. And intuitive eating is part of that, but a lot of intuitive eating says we need you to just focus on your physical hunger cues. And I don't think that's possible. Um, it, you, food is never just going to be sustenance period. Move on with your life. I mean, some people are that way and I guess more power to you, but it's, I, it's boring I, as hell. I can tell you that <laughs> I've been studying nutrition for a decade plus I've been, I've worked in pretty high level nutrition and that it's never, ever going to be that way. I mean, I could tell you stories about the players and the shit they ate because it's comfort. You know, like you're just, I'm never going to see food as only sustenance. It makes me happy and I'm fine with that. So, yeah. And there's, there's also, I mean, cultural ties to food. Um, and that's a whole, that'll be a whole nother topic. But in uh, dietetics, there's cultural competency. So you don't want to, I mean, let's take, if somebody's kosher and they don't eat, pork you don't want to say oh you know you should be getting some sort of pork at some point because i mean you just you look like an asshole so yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> um yeah so like i um i remember reading one of the lines i think i copied it here where it said i might not have um 
so what I try to do for this episode, just to, as a preface, is um, look up kind of traditional macro counting. So that's a big thing to me, too, is, is I actually kind of disagree with macro counting as a new like it's calorie counting under a different name. You're, you're assigned. I mean, macros are calories. That's there's no other way about it. So you're just counting them separately instead of counting them all as calories. And I get it. Make sure you get enough protein, that kind of stuff. But at the very core of it, and we went over this on a previous call, but like if you have a calculator on you, um, you know, you, listening at home, whatever, pull out your calculator because we have this belief that, and I see it posted time and time again, that 3,500 calories is one pound. And so a lot of macro counting and calorie assignment is based on this concept. And when you look at the numbers, when you talk about losing a pound, you want to lose a pound of fat. When you do the math, so we know that fat is nine calories per gram. We know that there are 28 grams per ounce. And we know that there are 16 ounces per pound. So when you do that, nine times 28 times 16, it's 4,032. It's not 3,500. You're off by over a day. So you need eight days a week to lose a pound a week at 500 calorie deficit. And I know it seems, it might seem small, 3,500 versus a little over 4,000, but it just kind of goes to show that it's all jumping off points. The equations are predictions, uh, getting in a bod pod, doing a met cart, uh, you know, indirect calorimetry, however you measure your RMR, it's not right. It's close, but it's not right. So, you know, the only way to ever know is you eat a certain amount and if you maintain your weight, that's your maintenance based on your activity and that kind of stuff. So eat less. If you, I mean, like that's really what it comes down to. And it's, it's such a complicated system to, in my opinion. And, and it teaches people to live inside of an app. It teaches people that, you know, they need to track everything and weigh everything and blah, blah, blah. And it's based on a lie. It's based on something that's not intrinsically true. So I tried to look up research on that style, um, you know, counting macros. There's none. I mean, it's, it's very limited. I found almost nothing. And I, and the main thing I wanted to find was like, a something that would show like a fallout or, or a period five years, whatever, after they were on in the study and see how the weight rebounded. And I couldn't find anything. I mean, I found some good research on intuitive eating, but you're listening to people who are telling you like, it's all based on the law of thermodynamics, which I'm never going to try to argue against, but I don't know. I just, the fact that there's not a lot of research on it. I mean, go on Google yourself and, and go on Google scholar and try to find it. And it's not that it's even just not readily accessible. It doesn't show up. So the fact that it's that difficult to find research on IAFYM, flexible dieting, macro counting, whatever you want to call it. Um, just, goes to show that it's all kind of, I mean, yeah, if you eat less than you burn or if you eat less than you use or whatever, you're going to um, lose weight. Cool. You know, how do you get there? What's the pr approach to get you to a calorie deficit other than just counting your macros and, and being a slave to my fitness pal? Yeah. And um, really the way that I look at it too is macros is a nice way that people use to overcomplicate weight loss. So, and I mean, it, that's part of how all these fad diets come around too is because I used to work in a workout supplement shop and we had people come in all the time asking, Oh, what do my macros need to be to lose this amount of weight in whatever amount of time? And they think there's a special number of protein, carbohydrates, fats. And it, it's like you were saying, it's, it's just calories in calories out law of thermodynamics and people get really mad 
when you say that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, it's, and it's, I think we talked about it previously when we were getting to know each other that, um, that question to me is loaded too. And going to someone who's just going to give you macros or calorie numbers is a poor decision in my mind, because I don't know until I've interviewed you and talked to you and gotten to know where you're at. I can't give you a calorie goal because it, it, say, you know, someone comes to me, that's a five foot tall girl. That's 300 pounds, you know, just making something up. She's likely eating 3,500, 4,000 calories a day to be that size. And if she comes to me and I just give her macros and say she needs to eat 1,500 calories a day, that's cutting her food in more than half without knowing where she was previously. Her body's not going to respond well to that. Her, her hunger hormones, her ghrelin, her leptin, all that kind of stuff is going to be off the charts. It's the body is going to think she's basically entered some sort of depression or starvation. And I don't mean starvation mode because that's bullshit. I mean, like her body is going to wonder where her food went. So it's not sustainable. It's, you know, someone that's eating that many calories needs to dial back to 3000 and then 2500 and then 2000 and, you know, and work their way down to a deficit. But just being like, oh, you want to be 150 pounds? Well, then you need to eat 1500 calories a day for the rest of your life. You know, like that's. That's not real. People don't think in numbers. I mean, we're not computers or robots, so. Yeah, and that's that's even um, where, as as much as we're saying, hey, you know, macros are bullshit, calorie count and things like that, There, there's, of course, benefits to it because if you're counting macros, if you're counting calories, things like that, um, the term you use, living inside of MyFitnessPal, it's beneficial and you're educated on what you're eating. You figure out how many carbohydrates roughly are in this. You can learn your portion sizes through that. So it's not all bad. It's one of those, don't make it too complicated and don't think that this is the way, like I've got to have it set like this to lose weight or even don't cut your calories too far. Right. And, and that kind of, I think that's a great point. And I think it leads me to, I actually was talking to a friend of mine this morning about how we were starting the podcast and what the topic was. And I kind of came up with this. Uh, I think she's a chef and the family she was cooking for is keto. And she's asking me how I felt about keto. And I think part of the issue with the anti-diet aspect is it says diets are bad. It says, you know, that do this, do that. But it's the whole concept anti-diet against dieting. And first off, we need to just take back the term diet. Diet is what you eat. Your diet is high, it's low, it's, you know, it, it shifts, it changes, but diet is what you eat. It's not something you go on. Um, but anyway, for sake of argument, I don't think diets are inherently bad. I, you know, it, it, like you said, it's about a lifestyle change. And if you want that to be low carb, that's your lifestyle. Some people do have, you know, non-celiac related inflammation to not gluten, but wheat. You know, so like there is, you know, some people have insulin sensitivity and the carbs just don't work well with them, you know, so that's fine. But the point is, it's kind of getting away from those external motivators, those external like I want to have abs, you know, there's a societal pressure to be a certain shape and that kind of stuff. Um, but if you can go into a diet, even if it's only temporary and learn something from it. That's the important thing. Like you're saying, you learn from counting your macros about the density of certain foods or, you know, that like we were talking salmon. I mean, six ounces of salmon is 240 calories or so. Like it's not a lean meat. It's healthy. But, you know, 
going on keto can teach you that you don't respond as well to carbs as you thought. Oh my God, I feel so much better because I'm not inflamed. Is it because you're eating less, a more controlled diet? Or is it because, you know, so intermittent fasting, I think actually helped me. I have really bad hunger cues. And this is something we'll get into in just a second with intuitive eating. But like from being morbidly obese, my hunger cues were out of whack. And intermittent fasting kind of got me through bored eating. I don't eat because I'm bored anymore. I don't eat because it's time. You know, I eat when I'm hungry. And, you know, it kind of taught me to be able to ignore those uh, false hunger cues and things like that. And it's not something that I even expected going intermittent fasting. I just wanted to try it. I don't believe in having a strong opinion on a diet I've never tried. So, you know, it taught me things. I don't, I mean, I think everybody intermittent fast. If, you, if you're not waking up every three hours to drink a protein shake while you're sleeping, then you're intermittent fasting, let's be honest. But um, yeah, like I think it's, it taught me things. You know, I wouldn't tell any of my clients to go on intermittent fasting. I, you know, I just think it can teach you things if, if you're going in with the right mindset. Yeah, for sure. Um, but so, I mean, let's get into that uh, intuitive eating, so. All right, so. Um, the line that I was talking about earlier was a new body of research suggests that helping people recognize and respond to their internal signs of hunger and satiety may offer a healthy alternative to dieting. And that sounds awesome, but when you look at it, research suggests, so it's not even like proven or tested really, helping people recognize and respond to their internal signs. So it's not just listen to your body. And that's my big problem with in intuitive eating is a lot of people like, oh, listen to your intuition, listen to your, to your body and may offer healthier alternative to dieting. So there's a lot of might, maybe, and, you know, lack of certainty in that statement. And, um, you know, when I actually in a class was having a discussion, somebody brought up intuitive eating. And like I kind of alluded to just a second ago, I, my intuition is to be obese. And, and I've, I've kind of gotten away from it. You know, I've moved, it's not quite as strong as it was, but for a long time, years, I had to actively fight my eating intuition and understand, you know, go through trial and error and go through trial by fire to get to a point where it wasn't, my body wasn't just screaming at me to stay obese. And my major professor brought up, well, what if you're broke? Then your intuition has nothing to do with nutrition at all. It's about saving money. You know, so intuition is such a ambiguous word as far as like, you know, it's, it's, it does require training. You have to work with someone and you have to go through trial and really get to a point of understanding. And I think I hear this all the time where people say, um, listen to your body. Well, how do you know that you and your body are speaking the same language? You know, like it takes time to really get to a point where you are able to listen to your body and realize that this is hunger and not a craving, that this is, you know, a physiological cue and not an emotional one. So, I mean, I think it's a good thing when done right. I think it's just one of those things that's a slippery slope into a blanket statement that's really not, it's a Band-Aid, you know, and when you give someone a Band-Aid, they're not gonna fix anything. They're just gonna walk away thinking they have the answer. Yeah, and so, and also to really stay informed. So a benefit is you learn what's, what are you actually hungry? What's emotional hunger, boredom eating, environmental, everything like that. But what you were alluding to is, I mean, just think about your body doesn't want to change. Most people who lose a lot of weight, they're like, man, you know what? I was hungry all the time. Or if they're trying to put on weight, you hear everybody say, I just couldn't fit that much food in my mouth all at once. It was, that's, that's the hardest part about it. 
because your body wants to stay where you're at. I mean, it's the definition of homeostasis to try to maintain your baseline. So for instance, um, your baseline was morbidly obese, your body wanted to stay there and exactly what you said. So, I mean, I just want to back up everything you said. You've got to, even though you're listening to your body, you have to understand that your body wants to stick to the status quo. So, right. And you know, there's a lot of biological stuff built in there that's slowly breeding itself out, but that's how evolution works. It's not like, Oh, well, we're not in feudal times anymore. We don't need, um, you know, winter storage, but your body still has some of that written in, you know, like we are in a, like a slowly evolving species, but your body wants to hang on to weight to make sure you, you have energy in times of famine and, you know, our bodies other than heat retention are incredibly efficient. And if they aren't, they'll get there. You know, that's why, um, muscle confusion exists, but really what it is, is it's not like P90X where you have to do a different exercise every 14 seconds for the rest of your life. It's, I bike all the time. So I'm going to burn less calories than someone, the exact same size, weight, body fat percentage, muscle mass, whatever that's never biked before. I'm burning less calories doing the same workout as him because my body is mechanically efficient at it. You know, so your body is going to get good at storing calories. It's it wanting to maintain its energy storage and things like that. Like it has an efficiency to it. That's why we store fat instead of just pissing it out or, or you know, defecating it is because your body, want, it's efficient. I don't know, I, why don't I hang on to these calories instead of just getting rid of them? Yeah. And that's another thing. So your body, of course, wants to store fat and we'll get into metabolic adaptation couple episodes down the line um so when you're in a calorie deficit your body primes itself to store more fat but on the opposite end of that when you have more food availability uh, and greater variety so this is actually coming straight from the academy's position paper on treating overweight and obesity the body doesn't account for that in the other way so if you're consistently overeating your body's not going to go, oh, you know what, maybe I should become less efficient so that I can handle with this. Um, so it's kind of from a fat loss perspective, it's fighting you in both directions. Like it's trying to make you put on fat when you're losing fat, and it's not going to prevent you from putting on fat when you're not trying to lose fat. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think kind of getting back to like intuitive eating and the, and the anti-diet stuff, um, I looked at uh, some research that was kind of interesting, you know, but, and we'll g dive into some more of this kind of stuff with, um, the episode on research, how to interpret research, which I think is a really powerful episode that we have planned. But so some of the stuff it was saying was that like, um, adolescents who have dieting behaviors tend to maintain dieting behavior into adulthood. It sticks with you. Um, research consistently shows that attempts at dieting are often unsuccessful and do not predict weight loss or maintenance, but instead predict weight gain and overweight status. Um, dieters may experience large weight fluctuations, emotional distress, depression, and are at risk for the development of eating disorders. This suggests that dieting is not a sustainable strategy for weight loss and does not promote a healthy lifestyle. You know, and so there is research there, but some of it and, and part of the intuitive eating stuff, too, is one of these research things said, like, um, intuitive eating is associated with several markers that improve physical health. It's inversely related to BMI. Um, 75, almost 75 percent indicated that they trusted their body. But 
when they moved up to looking at people who were obese or overweight, that number dropped down to like 61 and 47, you know? So it, it begs the question, like, is dieting responsible for this depression? I mean, I will, I, I won't try to argue that dieting might be in, uh, responsible for the, um, disordered eating behaviors. I think that's spot on, but typically there is some amount of depression or self-loathing that's associated with the desire to lose weight or being obese. Um, and I think that, you know, when they're, you're looking at it, it's like, oh, well, intuitive eating shows that if you are more willing to listen to your body, that you'll be a healthier BMI. But to me, that might say that people who can listen to and are, are primed to listen to their body and eat intuitively are in better health. Like they're, they're, they tend to be a lower BMI or a healthy BMI. You know, I don't think it, is it the chicken or the egg in this case? Are they less intuitive because they're obese or are they obese because they're less intuitive? You know, so how do you, how do you split those hairs is, is kind of an interesting take on that research. Yeah. And that's actually, that's a really good point too. Um, so kind of what you were mentioning about the research aligned with a little bit of what I had found. There was actually who was the author for the research article that you were talking about where once they Kara Denny was first author uh it's called intuitive eating in young adults who is doing it and how is it related to disordered eating behavior okay so I have a I have a different one which um it's less about uh in disordered eating and more about the health indicators which is kind of where I thought you were going at the beginning of that um but it was talking about how they did have positive health indicators with intuitive eating and then they accounted for BMI and it kind of became a wash and sort of just sorted itself out and didn't show too much of a difference, um, which is part of, in my opinion, what fortifies that homeostasis aspect where your body doesn't want to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And you know, to me, I feel like we're kind of getting to the health at any size kind of thing too, mm-hmm. where it's like you were saying, like there were health parameters and health markers, but you know, when you put BMI in the equation, it kind of washed everything out. And I actually read something a couple days ago that said um, something along the lines of, if you have anything to say against health in any size, you probably sell a foot in diet culture's door. And I took a lot of like issue with that statement. Um, I am the first person to disagree with health in any size. If you want to find yourself beautiful, if you want to have confidence, if you want to be happy at any size, nobody can stop you and you shouldn't let them. But, you know, saying something like there isn't health at every size. There, it's not like their obesity is marked by chronic low grade inflammation. That's one of the characteristics of it. So you are going to be more inflamed because of being obese, no matter how much you exercise or whatever. Like that's just part of having that much fat on your body. Um, typically, people who are obese have a lot of visceral fat, which means issues with artery clogging and um, organ function. And it's not always the case, but that is typical. I mean, it, it, more often than not, if you pick someone who's obese, they're going to have higher visceral fat, less, less you know, properly functioning organs, um, more health complications, more comorbidities. Um, diabetes is rampant. And, you know, it's just one of those things where there isn't health at every size. And it's because I don't believe that doesn't mean I'm in diet culture's pocket. It just means that I don't... 
it, what aspect of health? Mental health? Yeah, you can be mentally healthy at any size, you know, but you can't be physically healthy. There, it's not a cultural belief. There are measurable parameters in your blood, in your um, enzymes and things of that nature that tell you how well your body's functioning. And those numbers aren't going to lie to you, you know, because you don't culturally believe it kind of thing, you know? So I think it's kind of a crock of shit in my opinion. Yeah. So, um, that's actually when we get into that topic, I keep saying, Oh, we're going to get into this later. We're going to get into this later. It's going to be a good many. Yeah, exactly. So, um, health at any size is actually something that I'm insanely interested in because I mean, like, like you Blair, I don't really believe in it, but because I don't believe in it, I want to prove myself wrong through research um, and just, yeah, and just see what it says. Yeah. Um, shoot, why don't I believe in this? Okay, well, I don't have anything to back up why I don't believe in this. Other than, ah, it doesn't feel right, but I know how to go through the research. We can figure this out and shit, if we're doing it, we'll record it, post it so everybody else can yeah, hear it. I mean We'll see how much there is because, like, how do you research something like that other than looking at comorbidities and that kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, But uh, one thing that I found, it was one thing, it wasn't even on a research article, so take it with a grain of salt. But its definition for health at any size actually didn't claim that you could be healthy at any BMI which I don't have it pulled up, so I can't quote it directly, and I can't even say where I got it. So take it with a grain of salt, but I guess that could be like our cliffhanger for that episode, Um, is like it might be like false advertisement for this ideology. Um, Right. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, like you said, we'll try to fit that into another episode and really dive into it. But just off the cuff, like I'm, I'm not a fan of that statement. Like it just... It's not true. I mean, like I said, you can be mentally healthy. You can find yourself beautiful. You can have confidence. I mean, anything you want, but don't tell me you're physically healthy. Uh, You know, I mean, it's not the norm to be a BMI of 30 or higher and have spot on blood numbers and spot on. And, you know, I, I bring that kind of stuff up and we'll have, I'll talk about this on another episode on like, maybe we'll do like a myth busting thing, but I'm, I don't even think cholesterol's a problem. I don't think LDL's a problem like people think it is. I think that's a response to statin drugs. So don't get me wrong, there are some things that, you know, aren't necessarily used properly in like, you know, blood testing, metabolic panels and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and I, I know that probably intrigues a lot of people to hear me say that and then not go into it. But um, yeah, like I, I defend cholesterol. I, I, I hate that people call LDL and HDL cholesterol. They're not. It means high or low density lipoprotein. It can't be cholesterol if it's a lipoprotein. Those are different things. Um, but, you know, you can't really refute blood triglyceride numbers and blood sugar levels and your, um, you know, enzymes that measure uh, liver and kidney health and things like that. Like those things don't lie the way that, uh, I mean, you know, maybe cholesterol is bullshit, but you can't just wipe it and say like, Oh, doctors are lying to you and you can be healthy at whatever size you want. Like you sound like an anti-vaxxer being like, Oh, science isn't real. And you don't have to listen to that kind of, you know I mean? Like that's what it sounds like to me. So that's a fantastic comparison. Uh, we might get canceled after the first episode, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but so we'll go into, uh, myths and specifically the cert food diet. I know I mentioned that, 
earlier today. So uh, my take on this is... Do you want to go through the what we wrote? Like what the cert food diet is real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, that's going to be scrolled up here. All right. So um, this is actually your research. So I'll go into... You can go into that. No, no. I'll let take it away. I mean, okay. that's kind of the parameters behind what, like how the diet works. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, where it gets its name, the cert food diet is... It's specifically talking about activating sirtuin proteins, which um, where they sell you a dream is it says activate your skinny gene. Mm-hmm. There's I remember learning about yeah. skinny genes in exercise window. Yeah, like <laughs> there's no such thing as a skinny gene. Um, but I mean, really what it is, is it's requiring you to eat a thousand calories a day and then a, basically a juice smoothie. And mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're eating a thousand calories a day, you will lose fat. You will lose a ton of body fat and you will plateau. Yeah. Yeah. And then you will plateau hard as shit. You're going to get upset. You're going to probably, yeah, you're going to burn out and you're going to probably gain 20% more fat than you started with. Right. Um, and if after this, we can't talk you out of try. If you're interested and we don't talk you out of trying the surf food diet, please don't exercise while you're doing this. Like a thousand calories is not enough for anybody to exercise and be eating on a daily basis. Like you're going to lose muscle. You're going to hurt yourself. Your recovery is going to be ass. Like don't, if, like, don't do the diet, but definitely don't exercise if you're still going to do it. Yeah. And that's coming from the Miami dolphins guy. Remember that. <laughs> um, so, so, uh, <laughs> just looking at it. Um, so I, I found a list of what the cert foods are and the, I wrote in parentheses next to it, zero evidence. There's no evidence. And just as a preface, I took a full course in my master's program called exercise endocrinology. Um, cert proteins came up once and it was a specific research that me and a friend did and it wasn't actually part of the class, but, um, can I put a pause on this real quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, dietitians are the experts on nutrition. He specifically went through this with his master's degree. So if an expert in nutrition is talking about this and saying it's bullshit, I promise you it's bullshit. All right. Yeah, good aside. Um, so yeah, like cert one. So there's seven cert proteins, and we we learned about cert one, and that was we were specifically looking at certain types of exercise, and um, I believe it was due to um, occlusion training or blood flow restriction showed an increase, and I think German volume training as well showed an increase in cert one which is part of the chain of reaction to what's called mitochondrial biogenesis, or basically creating new mitochondria. And mitochondria are the part of the cell that specifically turn your food into energy. Powerhouse Where of the cell. Most of the carbon transfer. <laughs> Powerhouse of the cell. Everybody knows that and they know what it means. Um, so yeah, like that's where I could see the whole like, oh, it turns on your skinny jeans. But like I said, I saw some exercise modalities that showed upregulation in cert one proteins but I didn't, I never saw any food, period. And then, so looking at it, kale, strawberries, onions, soy, parsley, extra virgin olive oil, dark chocolate, green tea, buckwheat, turmeric, walnuts. So it's just a bunch of, a list of things that say like, they're healthy foods. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's vegetables, it's green and it's wheat and it's turmeric and spices. Like I would never tell somebody not to eat these foods and not because they're cert boosting, but just because they're good foods to have in your diet. But then I'd see one of them is red wine. There is no good research. I I won't say there's no research because there is research, but there's no 
actually good research that shows any amount of alcohol is healthy for you in a nutritional or biological sense. Alcohol is a poison. It is not good for you. I drink. I love wine. I, I love red wine to death, but that is a mental thing. It's a social thing. It has nothing to do with nutrition. So to tell me that red wine is going to boost your skinny genes is wrong. Alcohol in and of itself, and, and we can have a whole episode on this, shuts down every metabolic pathway except for fat storage because your body is trying to remove a toxin from your system. So basically your body is only storing fat. That's the direct opposite of a skinny gene is, is, is pure fat storage due to alcohol consumption and blood alcohol level. So it's, you know, just right away that I think debunks the diet in and of itself that they're throwing red wine on there and saying it's a skinny gene, you know, it's bullshit. I mean, it's the, the whole diet is just trash. I mean, I'm, I'm glad Adele lost weight and everyone's mad at her and shit. Like, that. <laughs> Are we proud of her? Are we mad at her? Like, you know, I think you brought up, she's very body positive, but then she decided to lose a hundred pounds. Like how body positive were you if you then decided to lose weight? Cause you clearly weren't healthy at every size. If you felt you needed to lose a hundred pounds and go on this cert food diet. Which that's the, that's the complications of Twitter. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's been, um, re repeated to me. Twitter is kind of the new Tumblr. So, I mean, I don't know if you were on no, Tumblr back when it was big, um, Basically, it a very toxic community. We'll just get into it where everybody's trying to be mad about something, and that's yeah, everybody's an asshole. Yeah, yeah, that's all Twitter is. So, <laughs> um, I think this is a good lead into the research kind of stuff we were talking about. One of the things I noticed is green tea, matcha green tea specifically, is mentioned one in the boosting foods, and it's also part of the three times a day smoothie you have to drink, but. It's funny like how often green tea gets brought up as a weight loss tool, supplement. I mean, drinking green tea is never, I mean, it, and, and this is kind of where the research thing comes in. Yes, there is research showing that green tea helps weight loss. The, and it's significantly is, is the term. And, and that significantly to the average person means by a large margin uh, to an extreme degree or a high degree. Whereas significantly within research means that it, falls under a certain category of effect that shows that this thing does work. And I think it's 0 0.05. So 95% of the time, this thing's going to work the way that the research shows that it does. That's what significantly means. It doesn't mean that it has a significant effect. It means the research is significantly proven. So when I looked at the research on green tea, two to three grams of green tea extract daily, which would be drinking over a gallon of green tea a day, but two to three grams of green tea extract daily, over 12 weeks saw a 0.8 to one kilogram loss in weight. Is that significant? Over 12 weeks, you lost two pounds. Would you be like, yeah, I've been taking green tea. I lost two pounds these three months. <laughs> like that's not significant weight loss, you know? So that's the difference between research saying it works significantly and it having a significant effect, you know? So the, like matcha green tea, it's bullshit. Like, I mean, drink it if you like it and it's sure it has catechins. It has, you know, polyphenols and things that are, good for your body, but it's not doing anything for your weight loss. I mean, it, if, if two pounds is, is you're splitting hairs, you know, I can, I'll be two pounds heavier tomorrow and four pounds lighter the day after that. So I actually, um, one thing I keep uh, telling people as far as weight and actually a reason why you shouldn't use weight to determine your own value is I had weighed myself in the morning one day and right before I went to bed and there was an eight pound difference trying to tell me that throughout the entire day I gained 
eight pounds of anything yeah. other than water. So really two pounds in three months, that's not, that's not significant at all. That it depended on how many times they measured weight, what else they did for measuring it. Like that could just be water fluctuation. Right. I mean, that's, that's an excellent point. Cause I was, I think I weighed a week and a half ago. I was 217. I weighed today. I was 213. I yeah. lose four pounds in a week and a half. I mean, I did technically, but yeah. I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't burn, you know, so and actually, I was talking to uh, my roommate the other day where a lot of times, maybe it was you actually, I don't know, somebody, I, t- I talk about nutrition with too many people too often. But, <laughs> you and me both. Where it's like people will say, like they'll go out and have like something bad, have a cheat meal, go eat um, a cookie, you know, two cookies, shit, four cookies. And they're like, oh man, I just gained like six pounds eating all these cookies. It's like, you can't gain more weight than the food weighs. Like the, the cookies aren't hundred percent calories. They have water. They have other components that are non like that are non caloric. So if you eat half a pound of cookies, you can't gain four pounds. It, it can't happen. Like it's less weight. You can't put on more weight than the weight of the food itself. So like, it's just crazy to me that people are like, Oh, I ate this and I gained a million billion pounds. And it's like, no, you didn't. Like, I mean, you, you didn't. That's the truth. You know, cause <laughs> it's calories per gram. That means calories increase as weight increases of the food. So, you know, I don't think that four cookies has 4,082 calories that you just put on to, you know, we should, we should do that. We should like get two pounds of cookies, eat it, and then see what we weigh afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> like, we'll post yeah. Have to talk <laughs> into eating two pounds. Yeah, of cookies. I know. So is there like white chocolate macadamia nut? Yeah. We're doing it for science guys. It's okay. It's science. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Nick would pick Oreos. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. Oreos so. are vegan by the way. Oh yeah, fun. So that very healthy. <laughs> These vegan Oreos. Oh, that's, um, if this is not the episode that gets us canceled and health at every size doesn't get us canceled, <laughs> that episode will get us canceled. <laughs> Cancel us. We're doing this. Nobody's going to advertise with us either. They're going to come to our houses. Um, <laughs> so yeah. And I think you kind of hit something on, um, you know, just kind of getting back and wrapping up the anti-diet stuff is, is focusing on your self-worth, you know? And I think that's a, a great term that you brought up is, I don't have a scale. I don't own a scale. I use one of gym just to kind of have an idea, but my weight can change based on water. You know, I can lose four pounds. Was that fat? You know, how are my clothes fitting? Take pictures, things like that. There's much better ways to measure because especially with like, I see it a lot with women, they'll gain weight, you know, or untrained men, you know, your weight can, it'll, it moves faster, the heavier you are. And then it slows down. And that's part of your, you know, you mentioned earlier that your body wants to stay in homeostasis. You know, it's, it's fine losing this extreme excess, but once you start getting down to, you know, close to your appropriate weight, it gets harder and harder to lose weight, which is why you see these bodybuilders on these ridiculous chicken and broccoli bullshit diets. God, I kill myself. I'd rather, I'd rather die. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it, it isn't your self-worth, you know, your muscle mass can increase and your fat mass can decrease and your weight stays the same. You know, so you need to have a professional um, do a body composition. So you know what you're, you know, if you gain two pounds of muscle and lose two pounds of fat, that's not no progress. It's just not progress on the scale. You know, and I think it's important that like, I think anti-diet encompasses tracking yourself the right way. You know, taking pictures and not putting your self-worth on a scale. Um, you know, I think that was a really good point that you brought up and just kind of wanted to touch on it. Yeah, and especially, um 
anything that's not the scale is also going to be a great thing. So measuring waist, hip to waist ratio or waist to hip ratio, uh, progress pictures, or even just how you feel. So I'm actually in the process of trying to lose some weight and started taking progress pictures and decided, like, I mean, I feel better and I had no interest in taking pictures. It just completely slipped my mind because I just feel better. Mm-hmm. Like I just objectively feel better. So I know it's working. Yeah. And I, I think I encourage people, especially when they're starting out, like not to track their food through an app that tells them the number of calories, but just to like keep a journal and then also write next to that meal, how they felt, you know, Oh, you know, I felt great. Uh, oh, I ate this and I felt terrible. And then you can start to build up information. It, it, that's ultimately what you want to collect is information is, okay, so how did I feel when I ate this? If every time you have, and let's just pick something arbitrary, chicken wings, you know, you feel like shit, then don't eat chicken wings or maybe eat less chicken wings. When I have seven, I'm fine. But when I have 10, I feel like crap. You know, that gives you information to know what your inflammatory point is and you know, how you're feeling based on the foods you're eating. And I think that's very powerful information to have. Yeah. So I agree with that. Um, that kind of segues into our, our sign off, our words of wisdom. Uh, did you have anything to add to that? I know that was already like a little nugget of wisdom, but here's a chance to get a second one from again, the Miami dolphins uh, guy. Yeah. So <laughs> my words of wisdom right now is going to be, and I think this, this kind of feeds into the anti-diet stuff. I actually heard a song yesterday when I was biking. It's, it's uh, the opening line was some people are like clouds, you know, life is much brighter when they go. And I think that's going to apply to your social media, which is you need to cleanse anybody that's not offering you value from your social media. If you fall someone cause they're attractive and have abs, you need to unfollow them. If you fall someone because they post booty pictures, you need to unfollow them. Even if they're posting workouts, if they're not posting, the parameters of the workout so you can mimic it or follow it, you need to unfollow them. You know, so, so if someone doesn't directly offer you value, whether it's creative artistic value or actual scientific value, or it's, I mean, close friends, that kind of stuff, but purge your Instagram, man, like get, get that, get those, that's toxicity. That's stuff that you comparing yourself to something you're never going to starve yourself into being this person. So you don't know their life. You know what they show you. So you need to stop following that kind of shit. So that's that's my words of wisdom on this sign off. Yeah, that's actually something I'm going to do uh, today. So because my little words of wisdom is also social media based. It's about if you follow a lot of health, fitness, even a bunch of dietitians, you'll find that at least once a day, somebody is eating a cookie, eating a piece of cake, eating a donut. Keep in mind that they're not doing that every day. But if you follow enough accounts, you're seeing that every day. You're seeing it more than once a day. So, in fact, as much as I hate to go in and unfollow some dietitians and them lose a little bit of support, that's something I personally have to do because I'm seeing it all the time and thinking, oh, you know what? This is okay. Everything in moderation. And daily. Yeah, yeah, including moderation. So I had um, a friend came over and spent the night. And so I... I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh, I need to get half my plate of fibrous vegetables and shit. Look, you're coming to visit. We're going to do what you want. We wanted Olive Garden, got some tiramisu. So everything in moderation, including moderation. And if your social media is not helping you, it's hurting you. 
Right. So, and, and I, I think that kind of both of what we said, this was unplanned, by the way, we didn't discuss. No, no. Yeah. Talk social media, but basically don't sacrifice 90% of your life to lose 5% of your body weight. You know, there I we go. It, it's not worth it. You know, like life is worth living. You only get one of them. So enjoy it. You know, don't overindulge. Don't overenjoy it. You know, there, you have to practice restraint and things of that nature, but you know, it's not worth hating your day to day and not enjoying your food to have abs. Like who cares? You know, yeah. I don't have abs. I don't give a shit. I mean, like, let's, let's be real with ourselves. Yeah. So, so but, yeah. and with awesome. that, yeah. we're going to sign off. So All right, y'all. talk I mean, to you guys later. Probably have another episode in two weeks or so. Yep. All right. All right.